This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. In popular media, stories about prison are often focused heavily on fear and violence of living inside, presenting the incarcerated peoples as perpetrators and villains. This single story papers over the reality of our prison system and keeps those of us on the outside from giving those on the inside the grace they need to better themselves and simply be part of society. In this week's story, teller Vince Pagan-Hill shares his first experience teaching a class of incarcerated women and how he fought his privilege to learn his own lessons as well. Recorded live at Steppenwolf in Chicago in September 2023, Second Story is proud to present Lifeline. I knocked and slowly opened the door to Mary's office. You wanted to see me? Close the door. I awkwardly waited for her to finish whatever boss lady business she was doing on her computer, trying to convince myself that she wanted the door closed because she felt a draft. (laughs) It wasn't Mary herself who was intimidating. She was unapologetically who she was, had a wardrobe for the gods, and could read you like a book before you'd even gotten to the table of contents. And I loved that about her. It was her constant and optimistic expectation that I could rise to her level of excellence that still has me checking the mirror when she's around 11 years later. (laughs) Clearing her throat, Mary closed her computer. So Vince, thank you for putting the extension directories on the phones around the office. She removed the small card from her phone. But tell me if you notice anything off about these. Mary Morton? Vince Pagan, Sandra, Alexis Martin, Nicole Smith. I just didn't know her last name and it wasn't on the website and no one was here and I knew you wanted it done by this morning. And in that one run on sentence, I'd broken the first cardinal rule of working with Mary. Offer solutions, not excuses. Okay, Vince, her eyes met mine. You should have just asked me. You remember what I told you about Sandra, don't you? I nodded. Mary's raised eyebrows said, and she's formerly incarcerated. Exactly. And I think she probably feels othered enough, don't you? I nodded again. Hmm. Do you think it might have been worth being late on this? Another nod. She handed me the card and went back to her boss lady business. Her name is West. Fix it, please. Mary's company focuses on social change through a lens of racial equity. When I'd started six months before, I didn't know a whole lot about what that meant. But little by little, conversation by conversation and project by project, she was making sure my education continued. Part of what I'd learned so far was to come into unfamiliar, uncomfortable situations asking questions instead of making assumptions, curiosity over judgment. So. I didn't avoid Sandra's office or treat her any differently when I found out about her past. I tried to lean in to curiosity and make an effort to include her in more conversation and find out more about her life. But eventually, intrusive thoughts taking the form of unasked questions about Sandra's past started twisting my ability to prioritize curiosity. Did it look like anything at all like Orange is the New Black? Was it hard to make friends? How long had she been there? 
Had she been before? What had she done? Was she scared of the women who had killed people? Was she a woman who had killed people? A few weeks later, that last question still lingering in the back of my mind, I could see the menacing watchtower of Logan Correctional Center coming into view as Mary, our coworker Alexis, and I silently walked across the rocky parking lot with our IDs and a box of workshop supplies. I felt a lump starting to pulse in my throat as I tried to breathe and sink with my steps to keep both steady. We entered a small room that served as a gateway through the tall barbed wire fences. Mary passed off the box to a corrections officer standing behind a small desk, and one by one, we passed through metal detectors. As a student of a post-Vallis Chicago public school, I was no stranger to metal detectors. <laughs> but I walked through this one a little more slowly. Hey, I turned to find the officer looking directly at me holding up the CD from our supply box in one, of, in one hand and the list of contents we'd sent to the warden weeks before in the other. What's this? Before I had a chance to respond, Alexis's small frame was between the officer's desk and me. I relaxed my shoulders a little. Alexis offered support services and programming at the prison every few months so she could have some pull with this dick. It's for the workshop we're teaching with the Women and Family Service uh, Theater Troupe. And then I let go of that hope as he looked straight past Alexis, holding out the disc for me to take. It can't go in. I stepped toward him, but hesitated. But it's on the list. Now, it's not lost on me that this man had both the power to arrest me and a very real gun on his hip. However, if you knew me at 23, you'd know that the combination of one, my thing about sexist egotistical authority figures, and two, a then unchecked anger management problem made this a very precarious situation for me. Look, man. Sorry, sir, we'll take it back to the car. Mary took the CD from him and held it out to me. Mary, now. And cool it. I stomped and murmured back to the car and put the CD in the glove box. Steadying my breath again, I walked back through the small room and met Mary with the rest of our supplies on the other side of the metal detector. A loud buzzer marked the opening of the fence and I braced myself for the images I'd concocted in my head leading up to the visit. Rows of prison cells with orange-sleeved arms hanging out the bars, armed guards at every doorway, angry-looking scowls on the women I passed by. Instead, I was met with the sight of well-kept well landscaping along the edges of a campus of single-story gray buildings with iron bars on the windows. Closely cropped lawns were decorated with flower beds lined with signs that read, do not approach incoming aircraft, and sit down if you hear gunfire. Women in gray sweats with IDOC printed in large letters on the back were working the grounds. A tall woman who had her curly chestnut hair pulled back into a tight ponytail was raking leaves and paused silently to smile and wave at Alexis, who did the same. I learned later that there was no talking aloud whatsoever during work assignments. Alexis looked at her watch. Well, I guess we better head in. We don't want movement to start while we're out here. Movement? Uh, movement is when a gun is moving from one space to another, she responded, usually when the guards are changing shifts. Everyone, including us, has to stay exactly where we are and pause all activity until movement is over. So, sort of like passing periods. She nodded, slowly. Kindly, sort of. 
Alexis led us to a small classroom and Mary and I prepped the space, moving chairs into a large circle until we heard a low tone that seemed to come from everywhere and nowhere. The women filed into the room and said hello to Mary and me, thanking us for being there, their eyes meeting mine with a friendliness I didn't expect. The women greeted each other with familiarity and care. I recognized the woman with the impeccable curly ponytail who waved on the lawn earlier. One of the others gave her a solid hug before they sat down together. How was your morning, Michelle? I saw you out there on landscaping. Michelle flipped her curly ponytail over her shoulder playfully. Yeah, but whoever worked last time left the flowers out in front of Chow a complete mess. She took Michelle's hand. Ah, look at these cuticles. As soon as they reassign you from landscaping, come by the salon and I'll get you right. A touch on the shoulder from Mary brought me back to the task at hand. You ready? I took a deep breath. And after introductions and warm-ups, we started our first story generation activity by asking participants to stand at one side of the room. Where you're standing now is your first living memory. Some of the participants closed their eyes, searching through their minds for that first moment. The opposite side of the room, I said, is here today at 1.10 on April 10th. I looked around to do what I usually do at this point and describe the context we were in, but I made a quick decision to skip it for today. The space in between are the years between then and now, your lifeline. So first, go to a place on your lifeline where you remember having a great time. They each thought for a moment and moved to a different point on their imaginary lines. A few shared stories later. Okay, now go to a place where you remember feeling really proud of yourself. Laughter rang through the room and tears were shed as the women shared their stories, sparking conversations and building connections just like any other ensemble I'd worked with. We heard about their renditions of Julius Caesar the year before and a Christmas carol that had become the staple for the rest of their community. From there, we heard stories of Christmas time, holidays, and family. And for a brief moment, the bars on the window seemed a little lighter. Before I knew it, there were only 45 minutes left of our first day, a perfect amount of time to sit down and start writing the pieces they'd finish tomorrow. I was feeling particularly proud of myself for holding a space that I'd been so scared to inhabit. I didn't even have to think about curiosity and judgment the entire time. <laughs> My thought was interrupted by that low tone that seemed to come from everywhere and nowhere. Everyone in the room immediately moved to the perimeter, still and silent. Michelle caught my eye and mouthed movement in my direction, so I quickly joined them against the wall. As the minutes passed, I started reworking the rest of the afternoon. Okay, it's been 10 minutes, so we can do one word feeling debriefs and move into writing. Okay, 20 minutes. There goes the closing. I guess I'll stay up late figuring out how to rework tomorrow. Half an hour. What is that? 10 minutes of writing? Not much of anything. Fuck. 45 minutes after the first tone, the 30 of us stood still in silence against the wall. The small catch in my throat had grown into the pulsating lump from the parking lot. All this time preparing, all these nerves, all this work that I did for nothing. The tone sounded again, simultaneously marking the end of movement and the end of that day's workshop. 
The women passed by me on their way out the door, looking at me apologetically, some smiling kind smiles, and others reminding me that we still had a whole other day together. Mary smiled back at them, telling them I did great work, they did great work. I was salty and stank-faced, visibly stressed about how I was going to salvage the next day. The moment we were allowed to leave the room, I stormed out past the workshop participants lined up in the hallway and stepped with wide strides toward the exit. What the fuck, I thought to myself, stomping through the front gate. Is this how they treated people who were giving up their time to work with these women? Wasting our time like that and creating even more work for us? Vince, stop! I was so preoccupied by my internal rantings that I didn't hear Mary's footsteps quickly approaching behind me. I paused but didn't turn around. What was that? I don't want to talk about this right now, Mary. Tough. She walked around to come face to face with me and pointed, you need to check your privilege. <laughs> I stared at her, confused. I didn't think I knew everything. I was 23 and had been doing this work for all of five minutes. But I did know something about the basics of privilege and oppression and how to examine them both separately and in conversation with each other. <laughs> I hadn't disrespected these women or tried to assert power over them. I'd gotten over my fear of the work and the space, and I was here, wasn't I? You're huffing around about losing 45 minutes of your workshop? Alexis told me that movement happens four or five times a day. You walked out of that building, which some of these people will never leave, without an escort, without chains around your wrists and ankles, and with your life. A privilege that you just exercise in front of all of these women. Now, instead of remembering the connections they made and the really great work you did, they're gonna remember you storming out. I leaned against the car, my gaze dropping to my feet as I shuffled some gravel around. A sigh from Mary brought my eyes back to hers. The world doesn't revolve around you, Vince. Do you understand that? I did understand. Maybe I didn't get it quite as well as I thought I did. The next day, Mary and I greeted each participant by name and started the session by telling them how excited we were to be back. We did a series of activities and they wrote about what brought them joy and what was waiting for them when they got to go home or imagined what life would be like if they could. After many more laughs and a few more tears, we closed our circle with participants sharing words like joy, gratitude, and sisterhood. After Mary, Alexis, and I said our goodbyes, we walked past the well-kept lawn and ominous signs, past the barbed wire fence and back through the metal detectors. As we drove back toward the city, I looked out the back window and could see the guard tower getting smaller, then disappearing altogether as we turned onto the ramp and merged onto the highway. It was then that I realized that sometimes you need to get it really wrong to be able to get it a little more right. This story was produced by Ali Drum, curated by Amanda Delheimer, and directed by Jess Hutchinson. Music was by Lynette Lee, and sound engineering by Matt Chapman. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. 
To be the first to hear about updates and new episodes, sign up for our podcast listserv at 2ndstory.com backslash podcast, or subscribe to the Second Story podcast on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi Nations. Our programming is made possible by the Arts Work Fund, Walter Foundation, MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture with the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Hannah and George Stowe, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this this is the Second Second Story Podcast.